0: Welcome to Conversations with Joel on Joel Osteen Radio. Joel's guest today is an entertainment icon with three stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Pat Boone. And now, here's Joel Osteen. I'm so honored to have Mr. Pat Boone, literally a living legend. Thanks for taking this time to talk about your life and your new book. Well, how could I not? We knew
1: John and uh, your mom. And we were there, Shirley and I were there, and we prayed, and we actually had a, a miracle of healing once when we were in the, uh, on the program and uh, with your folks. And then we watched you with, uh, I don't know, I would say trepidation when you had to take over when he passed, yeah. then with admiration to see how you took over and let God just mold you into something I know your dad must be swelling with pride about.
0: Well, thank you so much. That's very um, appreciative of your friendship and just uh, taking this time with us. Uh, Pat, go back and talk about your, your early days. Um, you, Were you raised in a family of faith or a little bit about your upbringing?
1: I'm very fortunate to say yes. My mom and dad, she was a, a, a nurse, a registered nurse, daddy, a contractor, architect, both very practical professions. But People of faith and church, we were in church service every Sunday morning, Sunday night, prayer meetings, Wednesday night. We had family devotionals in which we read and talked about the Bible at home. We weren't, uh, you know, people say, oh, you were super religious. No, but my parents had practical professions and to them and therefore to us, our faith and our knowledge of and learning the word and will of God was just as practical as anything they were doing and uh and so that's the way I grew up i mean i I was a word guy, in fact, when I was about to turn thirteen, when I was expecting to expected to walk down an aisle and confess my faith and be baptized, I wanted to know for myself what is this about, and so I began reading New Testament myself at at twelve, wow, about to turn thirteen, and I came across matthew ten thirty two where Jesus is talking in red letters. Saying, if anyone confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father in heaven. If he denies me before men, I will have to conf- deny him before my Father and the angels in heaven. For a 12 year old, can understand that, Joel. Yes. I'd be confessing Jesus now. I had a little sort of a vision seeing myself still a 12 or 13 and a huge crowd of millions of people and way in the foreground was Jesus separating the goats from the sheep, the saved from the lost. And I'm saying, Joel, I mean, <laughs> Lord, remember me and in Nashville, Tennessee, I confessed you before men. I want to go to the right with the sheep. And and of course that was premature, but but from that time on I had a different Concept of myself. I was a child of God, yeah. not just to Archie and Margaret Boone, but a child of the living God. And I took that into high school, college, marriage, career. I was going to be a teacher, preacher. I thought when Shirley and I married at nineteen, but uh, but but th- that was not to be. We were in school at North Texas State uh, and, and and Denton when I made my first record, which was just a bolt out of the blue. I was offered the opportunity. I recorded a song. It became a million seller. Wow. And from then on, while I was still in college at North Texas, I started a career of two and a four and a half years of never being off the single record chart. Four and a half years, it's a record I hold in the record business. wow. and 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 that that first morning when I woke up and looked at the trade magazines, after four and a half years of always being there every week, suddenly i couldn't find one of my own records i thought wait what's happened well of course that was not going to continue forever but it is a record i hold wow. and it is also uh the longest period of consecutive weeks in the history of recording
0: wow and pat did you was that music gift just natural to you i mean it seems like it's just god's favor that just that that took off like that
1: it was just like yours is natural and inborn and inbred I I always sang in our family gatherings, so did my brother. We sang harmony and then local school events. And then around Nashville, a musical town, when there was some opportunity for a kid, an amateur to sing, I would do it just for the fun. I would enter talent contests, usually came in second. And I didn't expect to come in first because there would always be somebody in a talent contest like that that played piano or a violin or tap danced or did something that required training and study and of course it's it was they should be the winner not me i'm just a guy that sings a pop song anybody can do that and yet so i always came in second but when i finally won one of those contests yeah. in nashville the tri- the first prize was a trip to to new york and an audition with the ted mac amateur hour which was a big national program i went there just hoping to get on to justify the fact that Nashville had sent me there, at least I hope I get on the show. Well, I not only got on, but I won three weeks in a row. Wow. That's what led to the recording contract. By then, I had married, moved to Nashville, uh, to Denton, and the career took off. I didn't seek it. It just fell on me. But but I sang whatever anybody put in front of me to sing, whether it was rock and roll or uh, or You'll Never Walk Alone or gospel or whatever it was. I just sang it. Wow and and I often talked to Shirley my wife about why God had entrusted me with with th- these opportunities, and I knew what it was it was a platform from which I could do what I was going to do as a teacher preacher but from a different platform but pat uh, sh- I mean Shirley said pat, it's a gift. God gave you a voice and a way to sing, and you're using it for him, so keep doing it."
0: Yeah, that's amazing, and just um, you know, an amazing voice and an amazing talent. But wow, it just um, it's you know some you know there's probably a lot of people that can sing, but it was God's yeah. favor just that took you there. It's just um, it's amazing, and you and you stewarded it well. Here, eighty nine years old, we were we were talking before we came on. You have another song out called Grits, and that that's just it's, it's very um, it's inspiring to, to to young people to see somebody like you still strong and healthy, and you look just uh, you look great.
1: And I've written another song, Joel, I, I'm going to make you aware of it, called Yehoshua. And that is because of the Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri in, in Israel, that 105 years old, came out of his study on the Day of, uh, of Atonement to tell his rabbinical students, this was about three years ago, the Messiah has appeared to me. He's told me his name. I know the name of the Messiah. I've written it down. I'm sealing it in this envelope. I don't want it open till a year after my passing, which has now happened. And when when he revealed the name of the Messiah, and I happen to be, happened with with Prime Minister Netanyahu in Israel, who is a friend of mine. He calls me Speedy every time we're together because of my record, Speedy Yeah. Gonzalez. yeah. Hello, Speedy. Come on in. And I was with him. I said, are you familiar with Rabbi Kaduri? Oh, he said, of course. He's my my staunchest supporter. I said, are you familiar with the controversy since his passing? And he didn't seem to be. I said, he's revealed. And this is just Netanyahu and me in his office. Another one of these opportunities that God just poured me into. And I said, he revealed the name of your Messiah. And Netanyahu looked at me privately and says, which is? I said, Yehoshua. Jehovah is salvation, from which we get Yeshua, which is the name salvation, which is what the angel told Mary when she says, you're going to have a child born by the Holy Spirit. His name will be, she didn't say Jesus, that's English through Aramaic and Greek translation, but it was Yeshua, salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name in Hebrew is salvation or Yehoshua Jehovah saves and I shared this with Netanyahu and when I when I did that I heard him quietly say Jesus wow. he knows the name as revealed by his rabbi ithak Kaduri the name of the Messiah is in English Jesus wow. and he ordered 30 copies of the book from which that is in the picture of the rabbi with the drawing in his own hand, the handwriting, wow. in which he feels the name of of his Messiah, our Messiah. So I've written a song called Yehoshua, and you, I'll be sending that to you. The people that do that uh, TV series, The Chosen, yes, they are very familiar with the song. They love it. In fact, they gave me video from the, what they've been shooting in The Chosen to put into my video of this song, Yehoshua. Wow. So I'll be getting that to you. Beautiful! Can't wait to see it.
0: Our guest is Mr. Pat Boone, just a legendary singer, entertainer. Can we go back a little bit to the, you know, the early life and you know your career took off? Was it hard to handle the celebrity? And I mean, you were the the biggest thing in the in the world at that time. Really, except for
1: Elvis, and and yet, in that first uh, the first time Elvis and I met. In 55, I'd had three hit records already since March of that year. Just boom, boom, boom. And now he comes to Cleveland for a sock hop. He's been appearing at the Louisiana Hayride, and he's just known as a country singer. And he's got one record, Blue Moon of Kentucky, keep on shining. That's a Bill Monroe bluegrass song, which Elvis tried to make sound like it was rhythm and blues, (laughs) which it wasn't. And he, he lip synced that record in the sock hop. The first night we met, he was my warm-up act. Elvis wow. was my warm-up act. And then I went on and sang three hits that I had from that year and got all the screams that night. When I came off, he was gone. Well, we we uh, continued our friendship, two boys from Tennessee, me from Nashville, him from Memphis. And in 1957, there was an international poll taken of, of the, the most popular male singer, And I was number one and Elvis was number two in 1957. Well, he took over number one pretty quickly and kept going, you know, well into the 60s. So did I. But, you know, he was single and available. But the question is, how did I handle it? I knew from the beginning, Joel, that my hit records were were not just because I could sing the songs and because I was young and because I was still looked like a teenager. I was still in college. I really was. Until until 1958, when I graduated and was on the cover of TV Guide in my cap and gown. But you open it up, the TV Guide, and there's a picture of my wife Shirley and our four little girls, and I'm only 23. All this happened wow. so fast. Wow! And and I kept up with Elvis, and, in, and and but all along the way, Shirley and I were in church with our little girls. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, reading the Bible. I was leading singing in the worship services on Sundays. And and church life was who I was. This singing stuff was was something that was happening to me. And I was just riding the horse as fast as I could and holding on. But I knew while Elvis, you know, was single and available to young teenage girls theoretically, I was married and they all knew I had four little girls already. Yeah, So I was Taken off the list of availables, but my hit records kept coming. In spite of this, I mean, it was so miraculous that I knew I knew where it was coming from, yeah. and that's what kept me stable and secure. As soon as we moved to California, we were in a in a, a wonderful local church, and I was leading singing in the in the in the singing on Sunday mornings there, and sometimes teaching Sunday school, and this was part of my home life. My real life, the singing was an occupation, but my feet and my soul were grounded in Jesus.
0: I've where Elvis had had faith or some kind of faith. You you believe that, or what do you think?
1: Yes, I, I do. In fact, when I went to see him after his career really took off and he was appearing at the International Hotel and just wowing everybody with a sensational show, I went back upstairs to see him in the penthouse, which was his dressing room. And he took me into a big closet, just a a walk-in closet, so we could close the door, just he and I talk. He said, I wish I could go to church like you do. Mm -hmm. I said, you can, why not? He said, no, I can't, because it would be too distracting. Kids would be wanting my out. I said, you don't think that happens to me if I go to a church where I'm not a member? Let Tell the kids I'm here for the same reason you are. Let me worship. I'll sign your church bulletin after the service, and then you can They can take it to school and you'll say, where did you get Elvis or Pat Boone? Was that your church? Can we come? Let it be an evangelical outreach. Well, he grinned. He says, no, I can't do it. But socially, he was uh, very shy. So he said at that time in that closet, do you know Earl Roberts? And I said, yes. He said, I'd like to talk to him. I said, "Well, let me give you a clue. Get on the phone to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ask for Oral Roberts University. Whoever answers, say, this is oh, it's President. I like to talk, to President Roberts, and you'll be, he'll be on in in fifteen seconds." No, I can't do it. Socially, he could not do that. Wow! I called Oral. Oral flew out. He met with with Elvis uh, privately in an afternoon for two or three hours, and he said, "The boy is starved." He told me later, spiritually. He starved for what he could experience when he was with his parents growing up in church. It was a it was Assembly of God church, and uh, and they, and they were unfettered as the film shows. Uh, they exaggerated really, but but Elvis was looking for that unfettered worship of Jesus. So after his shows, even at the international, he would keep the gospel quartet that he had on all of his shows, whether it was the Jordanaires or the Stamps or whatever quartet. And he would keep keep them singing gospel songs till three or four in the morning. Wow. Uh, That was only, he thought, his only way to contact with what he knew as a boy. But he was really starved. And in the last days, his last appearances, he was singing How Great Thou Art as his closing song, singing it better than I ever knew he could. Wow. And uh, and that's the last song he sang, I'm sure, uh, How Great Thou Art. And then that the next morning, he took some sleeping pills at 7.30, and there were too many. He was just desperate to get sleep, and and he he, he passed away. But I, I do believe that he was calling out to Jesus, even in his shows. Yeah.
0: What amazing memories. Pat, tell me about your, not just a music career, but you went into the all the movies and all the acting. That door opened as well.
1: And of course, I took my own Christian scruples into that. I turned down the first movie kiss with Shirley Jones in my movie April Love. is just my second movie, but it wasn't in the script. And the director at the end of this musical number says, now lean in and kiss Shirley Jones. I said, wait a minute, that wasn't in the script. He says, no, but you got to kiss the leading lady. I said, "But, but Henry, the director, I've never talked to my wife about kissing scenes in movies. I'm going to have to talk to her. Can we put this off till later in the movie? I came home, talked to Shirley, and she said, look, I'm way ahead of you. You've got a seven-year movie deal. I know there's going to be some kissing, but just promise me one thing. You won't enjoy it. (laughs) And I said, I promise. And I came back to the studio telling the head of the studio that that I was available now to uh, kiss Shirley Jones. But it had hit the trade papers. Hollywood reporter, leading man refuses to kiss leading lady. And they assumed for religious reasons. It was not for religious reasons. I just wanted to stay married, please. My wife's already given me permission. I know that sounds naive, and it was. And Shirley knew ahead of time I was going to have to do some kissing. But I wanted to know it was going to be all right with her. She liked Shirley Jones. She was a friend of ours. But for me to spend half a day kissing her best friend, and not best friend, but friend, yeah. I just wanted her permission. So I didn't kiss Shirley Jones in the first film, but in other films like with Ann Margaret and Diane Baker and Debbie Reynolds and others, I did do some kissing. I was worried that when we saw that movie for the first time, Shirley and I and our little daughter Cherry was like five years old in London when I saw this scene on the screen for the first time. And when that kissing was happening my little daughter slid down in her seat and then leaned got back up and whispered something to her mama and after the film ended and i was back at the hotel with shirley we put cherry to bed i said what was that she said to you during that kissing scene with anne margaret shirley said you're a very lucky man she said mama don't worry he's just acting <laughs> and that's my little five-year-old yeah. daughter uh, but i those were the principles i turned down movie roles with marilyn monroe and others But I said, to, and the head of the studio was exasperated. He says, you're an actor. Just do what the script calls for. I said, Mr. Adler, I've got millions of teenage fans. And whether I like it or want to be a role model to them or not, I am. And this story is just an immoral story. I can't do it. So we turned down that role with Marilyn Monroe. And the next was a film that I did instead, which was Journey to the Center of the Earth, which became a cult classic. A, a Jules Verne science fiction film, all for the family. I wound up never doing a movie that wasn't G-rated, and yet I was still in the top ten box office, in spite of that.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Well, you know what? You had a heart after God, and you you stood by what you believed in, and look look what God did. It's not like it it's not like it held you back. But let me ask you this, Pat: What about your white shoes? How did how did that come about? Yeah, yeah, and it was not intentional because
1: people may forget if they didn't live at that point, that white shoes, white buck shoes, the white buckskin with red soles was already popular on college and high school campuses across the country. I was just the first to wear them on TV. All of a sudden it was not intentional because they were the only decent shoes I had was white bucks and they'd go with anything with a suit or sport coat or whatever I was wearing to college, which, and I was still in college. And I just wore them on uh, on the various TV shows, and that was noticed, and it became a trademark. But it was not intentional. However, after my career took off and I could afford brown boots and black boots and blue boots and whatever I wanted to wear, besides white bucks, I could tell immediately that teenage fans were, were disappointed. Where's your white bucks? Wow. So the Bass Shoe Company in Boston that made all kinds of uh, shoes, Created the Pat Boone White Buck, and even I've still got shoes that in boxes, with my name embroidered on the tongue of the shoe, and I give them to charities that auction them off for fundraisers, worthy fundraisers. Wow! And Lately, the last pair of White Bucks I've given to a charity got two thousand for the uh, for the charity. Wow! <laughs> I, don't know what I did with them size size 11 and a half White Bucks.
0: But I say to people, they make great planters. You can put flowers in them. I love that. I love that. Pat, tell me about your new book. You've written many, but your last one is called If. It's a, a yes. great book. Tell tell us a little bit about it.
1: Well, again, it's like so many other things I've done. I felt I was directed. I think the Lord directed me. to. I, was, I thought I was through writing books. I'd had other books, including the first one, which while I was still in college, called Twixt 12 and 20, was a book of moral advice for kids. And that was a, a million-seller. It sold a million hardcovers, and it went into many languages. And and, and and then I wrote other books later in the 60s, a new song, which was about our coming into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And again, that was a million-selling book. and went into many languages. And I thought I was through writing books. But I was in Hawaii after Shirley passed and uh, alone. And the, the thought came to me, not just the thought, but the knowledge, that America was losing the right to call itself a nation under God because, according to Barna and, and Gallup and the pollsters, over half of Americans don't believe in God, don't go to church or synagogue or temple anywhere. They may pray some, they may not. If they do, they don't know if anybody's hearing them. America is spiritually ignorant and and biblically even worse ignorant. They don't know what the Bible says because they don't read the Bible. And I thought, I've got to write a book for not for Christians, but for non-believers, those who don't know if they they don't want to buy a, quote, religious book by you or by anybody. They're not interested in a religious book. So on the cover, as you see, I have a warning sign. This is not religious. It's just life or death. If, what does that mean? Well, open the book and find out. If, but it says it's not religious. And then right at the beginning, I say if is the most important word in the Bible. If starts in Genesis all the way to the book to Revelation. If in every case, over 500 more times, God offers himself to us and every blessing he gives. But every blessing comes with an if. It's yours if you will accept it. If, if, if. He said to Solomon when he when he, in Second Chronicles, and we have that scripture, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, turn from their own wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and forgive their land. He was saying that to Solomon, but he also he continues saying, if, if you don't, the next few verses, you need to read the next few verses after that. Don't just claim it because we say, well, that's us. We're God's people. Well, have we turned from my wicked ways? No. Well, if you don't, read what happens. And it's frightening what God yeah. promised. In that passage of Scripture, if you do not, I'll destroy this very temple that you're now we're now celebrating that you built for me, and on and on, and I will vanquish you from the face of the earth if you turn down what I'm offering you. So that's why I've written this book. For, it's for people who don't know what God's promises are anymore. They're not sure that how they can get into them and they're not gonna they're not right now going to a church or a temple or a synagogue, but if they'll pick up this bus this book at a truck stop or a bookstore the 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 cover he gave me the cover the four corners looked like they're singed like you picked it up out of a, a a book burning, yeah, and then it says right there, boldly, even this the little thing looks like a it was might have been a lapel pin, but it's also singed in the fire. And it says quite boldly, it's not religious, so that people who are looking for a book to read and they're intrigued with the title, if, what does that mean? If what? Well, it says it's not religious, so I'll open it up and see. Well, it starts with the story of Noah, when God destroyed the whole human race except for eight people. And that word, if, reverberates through the whole scripture all the way. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. If you do not, I will have to deny you before God and the angels. That if echoes through my life, and I'm trying to get people who don't think they want to read a a religious book to read this book, because it says it's not religious. It's just a matter of life or death told in the most loving way I know how.
0: Yeah, it's a powerful book. It's called If, and by Pat Boone, our guest. You can pick it up like you said. Pat, we got just a minute. I want to ask you two more quick things. How do you stay so healthy? I can see you through the Zoom here. You're 89. Well, you said you're in your 90th year. You're 89, but you still run, play tennis, and and do some sports. You look great. How's that come about?
1: I can look out here right now at the pool. I keep heated, and I swim laps in the pool, and uh, of course, I up till recently, my my uh, tennis partner, who's just a kid of 81, he uh, he moved to Florida. <laughs> oh, man. And I was playing singles tennis with him. And I play golf. I'm hosting golf tournaments for fundraisers. But I work out in the gym. And, uh, and I'm about to start taking at least three times a week training because it looks like I'm going to be doing some more live singing and concerts because of this hit song, Grits.
0: Maybe somebody's uh, listening in their you know, they see all your success, but they're in a difficult time. And, you know, it hasn't been easy for you. You've you've had challenges like all of us. You've had pressure and surely went to be with the Lord. But maybe talk to somebody that's in a difficult time and, you know, that they can make it.
1: What they need to know is that God knows who they are. They may not know God, but God knows them by name. And he says in Jeremiah and other places, he knew them before they were born. And they're created in his image. And he knows your name. So, You ought to get to know him because whatever problems you may have, you need to know he's got the answers. If you realize you are made by God and you should, then say, hey, wait a minute, I've been shortchanging you. What I'm trying to do is helping my grandkids and great grandkids know who I am and what I stood for so that they know who that old guy was and why he was successful. That's why I'm writing books and doing things like songs and and discussions like with you, because I want to keep all of these and let my great grandkids who are headed down a road in this society where they're going to need all the help they can ever get from parents and grandparents. That's why God tells us as parents, we're supposed to teach our own kids yeah. who he is.
0: That's beautiful, Pat, I'm very honored to have had you today you you're in in an inspiration through the years, and we just appreciate your faithfulness. I love your new book called if and I know we're going to pick it up and get it to those that that don't know the Lord, but thank you so much. Uh, We we love you.
1: God bless you. Shirley and I, I speak for her. She's in heaven, but
0: she and I are still married, and so I speak for the two of us. We love you. Well, we love you very much, and honor and respect to you. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Joel on Joel Osteen Radio. You can listen on demand anytime with the SXM app or at SiriusXM.com. To find out more, call 855-585-JOEL. That's 855-585-JOEL.